Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. Yes, you're listening to 3 Triple R. The show is Bite Into It. My name is Dan Morganti and joining me is Maze Wallen. Maze, how are you doing? I'm doing okay considering all things Dan. Yes. I think, yeah, today has not been too bad for me. How about you? Um, yeah, not too bad. I got some video gaming in um, and prepared for this show. And yeah, uh, the same. Um, all things considered doing pretty well. So, yeah, tonight we're doing our, our monthly games episode. Uh, uh, Luke Miller from uh, Queer Games Festival, um, which is a small festival um, that you're more intimately familiar with, hey, Mace? Oh, no, not really, actually. But I think it's um, it's a relatively new festival that's part of Melbourne International Games Week that Game Connect Asia Pacific um, is also in. So I guess we're doing a bit of a pre-Games Week episode. We... That week starts in one month um, and we will be doing an episode right in the middle of it, um, which which will be a little bit more hectic for the developers and everyone involved. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is a bit of a what to look forward to kind of episode, which I think, yeah, yeah. we're already hyped about. Yeah. Have you, uh, uh, have you played many video games this week, Maze? Because uh, the lockdown has given us a unique <laughs> opportunity to, to play a lot, really. Well, I was telling you um, about what I'm trying to do in order to mark student papers. So um, I, for those who don't know, I have a little bit of a side hustle um, in order to keep teaching. So I guest lecture and I do a little bit of course development and marking for um, one of the games courses at the University of Melbourne. Um, So I have 150 student papers to mark in the next two weeks. And what I've been doing is marking a paper and then raiding a dungeon in Elder Scrolls Online and then going paper, dungeon, paper, dungeon, paper, dungeon. And it's just, it has been so good for my concentration, honestly. Um, My focus is pretty shot to shit at the, at the, (laughs) at the moment. Um, So yeah, it's, I've been doing a lot of Elder Scrolls Online and I've also been playing um, a relatively recent New Zealand game called Before We Leave, which is a city builder um, game where they've tried to be a little bit different where you're not trying to um, kick out natives and you're not trying to kind of decimate the land, but... Yeah, we'll see if I get to review that game um, at another another point. Okay. Um, Sounds yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah, and I've just been uh, smashing uh, Hunt the Showdown, which is uh, an objective-based horror shooter. Um, yeah, been playing a lot of that. Um, nice. <laughs> yeah, nice. Let's, uh, let's get into the news, um, shall we? So Netflix is testing their first mobile games integration in Poland. So... Netflix, uh, famous for their uh, Black Mirror Bandersnatch uh, video game cross TV show, uh, yeah. are now trying to integrate more video games into their platform. Um, and yeah, they've got a test on, uh, which is limited to Poland, and it's just two games, Stranger Things 1984 and Stranger Things 3. 
um, according to uh, the company's uh, Netflix account uh, on Twitter. Um, sorry, the Twitter account, uh, Netflix's Twitter account. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I it's, think it's pretty interesting because they've also said that there's no um, extra in-app purchases or anything, which is something that they could absolutely do with a video game. Um, it's all just going to be part of your usual Netflix subscription, which most of us have. Um, it's probably an excuse for them to up the subscription amount, I'm sure, um, yeah. which they do do kind of every couple of years anyway. Um, but yeah, I, so far Netflix has managed to stay away from any premium purchases in the their on their platform. So you pay for Netflix, true. you get everything. But Disney and exactly. Stan and like all these other ones and now, Amazon, Amazon, yeah. yeah, they they now charge for Disney more um, egregiously, really. But um, yeah, all these other yeah. platforms are charging for their premium films and stuff that they um, – and, yeah, it just seems like everyone's fine with it. Um, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens with uh, video games and Netflix if they do char- decide to charge more for it, hey? Yeah, I do wonder what these games are like, and I'm sure we'll hear more about it um, as these Polish reviews get translated into English, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but – you know, whether they still keep the narrative focus that you might think from what's otherwise film and TV. Um, And earlier in the year and last year, they did hire very, very, very many narrative designers. So there there has been a lot of hope that they try to keep story-focused games. And, I mean, with the Stranger Things IP, they definitely can do that. So, I don't know. I hope that they do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I hope. Uh, yeah, they they work out the kinks and they start to develop some yeah some good content, especially with yeah Stranger Things. Like they've got Netflix has really worked hard to develop all these properties, um, like unique properties. So it's good to see that they're you know spreading their wings with stuff like that, Stranger Things and and the like. Yeah, I wonder. You know, it does make me think a little bit about the um, Mac, the Apple Apple Arcade where um, hyper-casual games are really encouraged um, by them to developers because um, how long a player spends in game gets um, gets calculated into the amount of remuneration remuneration that you get. Yeah. Um, so if you make a hyper-casual game, the player spends ages and ages and ages in there and you get more money for that. While if you make a narrative game... The player might only spend a couple of hours, then it's done, and they don't need to play it again necessarily, oh, and you get less okay. money from that. Yeah, that's really yeah. interesting. Uh, I never would have yet thought about that, but that's um, yeah. Hopefully, uh, uh, it all uh, works out in the wash, and people uh, get what they're owed. And yeah. yeah, and it seems like the Netflix internal studios. So they maybe the developers just have you know wages, like proper wages. You yeah, know? maybe yeah. they're paid that way yeah um, but yeah you would wonder wonder what that's like or I would wonder <laughs> mm. um, um, and on to more uh, upsetting news uh, the story continues with Activision Blizzard um, the lawsuit has expanded to include uh, con- uh, contractors and there's claims that the publisher shredded documents so it just is not getting any better for Activision Blizzard and 
the more the more we hear about this, the more uh, they just just seem awful. Like the the behavior and activity that they've uh, engaged in is um, truly detrimental to their um, to their staff, and I would say to their product as well. I I feel less enjoyment. I, I played some Overwatch the other day, which is their first person yeah, shooter. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like a couple of times I was playing, I'm like, this is, you know, this feels a little weird knowing what, what we know now about uh, how their studio operates. Yeah. As someone who plays other massive multiplayer online games that aren't World of Warcraft, there's <laughs> been um, a name now for the um, people who are leaving World of Warcraft to another MMO called WoWfugees, which, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's a name for it. I don't know if I like the name, but the fact that it has a name, you know, it is a mass exodus mm. from that ecosystem. Mm. Um, and, you know, they're all going to Final Fantasy online and um, Elder Scrolls online and now Amazon's latest MMO New World um, which is almost out. It's been in closed beta and open beta a couple of times. So, um, yeah, they're just moving out. And I wonder, I wonder if people are like, hmm, you know that MMO that's basically finished but we haven't put into our servers yet? I wonder <laughs> if now's the time to just uh, bust that little penny out. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah, it is very cool, I think, that, you know, this lawsuit um, has changed their language from employees to workers, which means that they are now including contractors, um, because that is a huge part of how these large AAA companies do exploit workers, is that they don't actually give them um, proper salaries, you know, this kind of mass casualization that we're seeing in every industry. Mm. Um and then, you know, the the kind of next step that they could be taking is also looking at um, outsourcing companies, you know, people who are in Southeast Asia or, or that kind of thing um, who are underpaid and overworked also. Um, but, yeah, there's a, a piece of the um, court documents that have said um, the the... Uh, the prosecutors are saying that Activision have allegedly failed to maintain and produce records, um, which, you know, is um, being kind of seen as, you know, that they have an obligation to not destroy, conceal or, or alter any documents or data relevant. So I think they've kind of caught on to something that, Activision Blizzard may be doing, yeah. Um, yeah, trying to interfere with what's happening. Yeah, and you know we've previously talked about how they've um, hired some of the same people that you know Trump has hired and that Amazon has hired to union bust. So, you know, they're probably doing everything really. Yeah, it seems like uh, their reckoning's upon them. <sighs> I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Um, in other news, Niantic reinstates the 80 meter interaction distance in Pokemon Go. Uh, so people had a few criticisms about their, uh, interaction distance, uh, which was moved down to 40 meters, um, which, uh, you know, the community was not happy with. Um, 
I suppose yeah, a they had more... they had a heap of things happen um, in response to COVID. So they made it so you didn't have to be so close to landmarks, so people didn't have to bunch up so much, um, and so that people who lived near landmarks um, didn't have to leave to go towards them. And then they've had a whole lot of other ways to connect with players, um, with other players and things that don't require you to be walking around. Um and one of them was, yeah, increasing that radius. But recently they tried to put it back down to 40 metres and everyone was like, uh, hell no, one, COVID <laughs> isn't done yet in most of most of the countries. Yeah. Um, and two, actually it's been really cool for people with um, mobile accessibility concerns and, and things like that. So, yeah, they've made, along with, you know, every other platform they've made their product more accessible during COVID and people don't want that accessibility to go away again um yeah but they quickly responded and uh and didn't do that so that was nice yeah <laughs> uh, a company yeah that listens to their player base and uh reacts accordingly um who would have thought triple r on fm digital online on demand podcasts and via the app Hey, mate. How are you going? Not too bad. How are you? Um, so joining us now is Luke Miller from the Melbourne Queer Games Festival. Um, Melbourne Queer Games has two main aims, to inform, entertain and challenge LGBTIQ players by reflecting their lives in games. To bring the best of world queer culture to Melbourne and to connect international, uh, to Games Connect International and Australia game developers, the Melbourne Queer Games Festival, MQGF, is a lo-fi event held in October by a small team of volunteers who love queer games. One of those people is Luke Miller here on the show with us now. Welcome, Luke. Hello, everyone. Hello, listeners. Hey. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for uh, coming on. Um, how have uh, have you been playing many games in this lockdown? Uh, yes, I've been playing a lot of queer games actually. Um, so it hasn't been all bad. Uh, that's my tech upside for the for the week. Yes. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, there's a huge showcase, right? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, sure. So uh, we are the Queer Games Festival, Melbourne Queer Games Festival, and um, we open up submissions early in the year, and people from around the world are encouraged to send us their their queer games. Um, and then we, you know, two months before the festival, we close the missions and we start to play through them all and, and um, you know, gussy them up and try and put them in context with each other. And then we, we put it up there in a showcase uh, for anyone to look at and play. Uh, all the games are available now. So even though the festival is in October, we really try and get them up as soon as possible. So that's where we're at. We got 57 this year, which was a record for the festival. We've been doing it for four years. That's awesome. Wow, it's a beautiful way to kind of hype ourselves up in in the lead up to the festival how many days is it away is it, could it's we play? just under a month october the 6th and, and you know it's you know the key words here are lo-fi and and online so there's yeah. no you don't have to buy tickets or anything uh, and basically as as things roll in we roll them out so the showcase is rolling out at the moment um, we've got a feature could bring it back that's coming out in a few weeks and then on the actual six is when we hand out a few awards um, but that's oh, beautiful yeah, but you know, there's something to be said about you know trying to award, you know, give awards to queer games or differentiate them because each one is, you know, in my opinion, a precious gem. So yeah. Hmm. So are they all games released in the last twelve months? Uh, released or substantially updated? 
you know, mm. it's you know how games are incredibly wide. It's almost unfair to say these sort of digital objects are games. You know, when you've got like shoot 'em ups and visual novels, and you know, there's there's such there's so many different types of games, right? Um, yeah. That you know, there's no a lot of them don't have single release dates. You know, some of them are you know get updated every month, or some of them are you know student games, and you know we're very proud of the amount of student games we get. But you know, so we try and be flexible. So we kind of say the last eighteen months. Hmm. Oh, beautiful! Something what, for everyone. I love the kinds of lo-fi queer games that you get on itch, which are like fifteen minutes or five minutes or two minutes um, that you can just finish straight away <laughs> yes. and have have a beautiful little experience. Well, you know that's part of what I love about the festival. I'm I'm kind of plugging it a bit, but I guess that's you know why I'm here. Totally, that's, oh, that's, why for you're here. Well, that's why I'm here to talk about it. I do think um, the word queer c- captures a lot of different types of, you know, there's a lot of different definitions to it. And I think we get kind of three types of games to the festival. So we get, you know, LGBTQ games. So we get a lot of, you know, cute little romance, very narrative driven games. And um, then we get a lot of, uh, I guess, you know, political games. Like what is it, you know, politically to be queer, you know, like sort of activist games. And then we get that that other group of games that I think you touched on, which it's almost like about the aesthetics of queerness, like the other. And so, you know, nothing warms my heart like getting like a really glitchy, you know, mm. sort of two-minute <laughs> upside-down kind of trash game. I, t- yeah. To me, that's like the essence of queer in, in some way. Mm. Yeah, right. Well, how, far, how far and wide uh, are these um, applications coming from? Yeah, well, you know, most of the games are from uh, international. So a big part of the the festival is about bringing um, that sort of international community to Melbourne. Um, and it's the big inspiration is the Melbourne Queer Game. I've said Queer Games Festival so often that I struggle now to say Melbourne Queer Film Festival, yeah. um, <laughs> which has been running for, you know, 20, 25 years. And um, it's just a sort of lovely event where it's just, it seeks out these these little stories and brings them here and, um, yeah, that's what we try to emulate a bit with the Queer Games Festival. So we've got games from Japan and France and, um, of course, the US and England and all over the place, really. We're quite big in Japan and France this year. We've got like four or five games from each of those places. That's so, pretty cool to see queerness from all of these different regions. Yes, and they've each got a flavour as well. Like the French games do seem a bit more political. Like there's one um, called Traces, mm-hmm. which you're walking around a... Um, like a bookstore, a library, and they're putting on an exhibit about, um, you know, queer history. And so you go up to each shelf and they'll say, oh, here's a great graphic novel about, you know, someone wrote about being, you know, non-binary. Or you'll go over to the history section and they'll, oh, here's a great book about, you know, pride, you know. And um, it's so it's so strange to have that in a game. It's sort of like um, you've got this artifact and the artifact is about other artifacts. I think it's a very sort of 21st century, uh, 2021 kind of take on it a bit. Yeah, that's, a little bit transmedia. That's fascinating. Um, so what to like, I know that it's a like queer games festival, so that would be like the overarching theme, but like what other, like um, you were just saying the French games are political, what other overarching themes do we do you see in these games or like what's the other common threads that you get with the sure. queer games? Well, I, you know, I pay, you know, I kind of love to tease that out because I guess I'm not an academic, but I kind of like to kind of you know pseudo academic at a bit and so you get these every year i go oh, what are the trends this year what's the trend mm-hmm. in queer games and um you know like previous trends i think in previous years like a very noticeable one was like sort of monsterism there were like a lot of games about 
you know, mm. someone being a werewolf or someone being a vampire, um, which I think was sort of tapping into maybe the a, sort of a trans experience a few years ago because there, there was a lot of sort of people that had a lot to say about that kind of experience. Mm. Um, or, you know, um, oh, I can't think of another trend right at the moment. But uh, this year, I think what's sort of notable is that it's it's been quite difficult to discern a trend. I guess we've kind of got a bit more not more variety, but it's just, I guess, the games are all coming from different positions. Yeah, um, people are more inside themselves, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I touched on that with that, that HIV Traces game, where it was about this sort of museum and you're walking around in it. Um, we've got a couple of those where they've recreated a space, like a, a real space mm. online, and you're walking around. So there's another one called Happy Pride, where you're walking around a, a Pride March. Um, just mm. talking to people and getting their opinion on what it is to be, you know, what pride means. And I do think that kind of, I mean, if, we, if you look over the last 18 months, a lot of museums and art galleries have created these online spaces to walk around and view their their art. And so I do wonder if that, that's a slight trend there as well, that kind of mm -hmm. digitization of, of offline spaces. And maybe also like trying to include other queer artists in your work and kind of introduce them to how to engaging games as a medium because it's online you know and interactive um i've been getting your newsletters for a little while and one um one of them had something about some of the really influential influential queer games in history can you talk a little bit about that right well uh one of the things we we do every when we can when we feel like it this is that whole lo-fi volunteer <laughs> thing we yeah great we run a segment called bring it back fit right in here at triple r Yes, yes. Well, there's a little bit of triple R DNA in the Queer Games Festival, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, you know, we run it, bring it back, where we look at a game from before, the like way back in the distant past, like 2015 or 2016. <laughs> and and we yeah. just kind of, um, you know, we try and find out a bit about how it was made and why it was made and, and maybe kind of situated a little bit in context. You know, I think one of the things about computer games, they do, like a piece of art does have to stand by itself, but there's mm. a value every so often just kind of taking uh, a game and just sort of saying, well, what what what's it sitting amongst? You know, what are the games either side of it? You know, what were people thinking at the time it was made? And so bring it back is, um, I guess, part of that sort of looking back at these older games and trying to find, you know, where we came from, you know, and where we're going. I guess that really links into, you know, yours and, and everyone's activism, right, to kind of, you know, even looked at, look at tactics and messaging and how messages were conveyed before and whether we can learn from that or what we need to evolve from, all those kinds of things as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things about, um, you know, queer community or LGBT community that um, I think confuses a lot of people who aren't in it is that it changes so fast. Um, you know, mm. it, it just the terminology changes, you know, mm. every couple of years. And so there's always, a, you know, when people make a queer game, they really are putting putting themselves out there a bit. They're sort of, you know, writing in stone ideas and thoughts and feelings that, you know, in four or five years can already look quite out of date. And so there's a lot of sort of trust in it. Um, to go back to your earlier point about you know really old games, there's um, there's one from 1989 called Caper and the Castro, and I mean they only recently rediscovered it. I think someone found a vintage gay magazine from San Francisco, and there was a little ad for it, and they're like, oh, oh what, what's this? A gay game from 1989, and 
And it started a worldwide hunt to actually find the person who made it and to find a copy of it. And initially there was just like, they couldn't find the person and they found the person and the person's like, well, I, I made like 20 copies. I posted them out. I don't have any copies myself. <laughs> and so wow. then there were people tracking down, oh, you know, one got sent to Germany. So let's call up everyone we know in Germany. And they find, <laughs> yeah, they finally found a copy and you can play it in an emulator. And it, it's, it, it's really dated, but at the same time, what an amazing piece of history, you know, almost lost. Oh, so amazing. And I guess, you know, you're doing the work of video game archivalists who might be missing some of this this content because it isn't in the mainstream eyes at the well, isn't always in the mainstream eyes. Very um, cool. Can you tell us, uh, is there any awards at the uh, Melbourne Queer Games Festival? Uh, yep. So we hand out a, a gold, silver and bronze or maybe two bronze if there's, you know, we can't decide because <laughs> we hate to make anyone feel bad. Um, okay. And we, if there's a game that we think um, just really is like a next level in sort of exploring what it is to be queer in gaming. We do have a special jury prize, but we only award that, you know, when something truly remarkable comes along. So we had one last year, which was a game from Turkey. Um, it was a young person who made it. Um, there's a, a gay soccer team over there in Istanbul. Um, and it's always under threat of like, um, it's always kind of getting blamed by the government for like moral degeneracy and everything. And so this game was you play a government agent going undercover in this soccer club, trying to find evidence of like moral oh, decay. Wow. And you're just finding pictures of like, you know, two two women celebrating getting a goal. And you're like, aha, I finally found it, proof that these people are, are disgraceful. And it was so biting, and but just so, you know, it was just a real gem. And so we did give that the jury prize, you know. And so that's kind of what we're looking for in that, that sort of thing. And we do a technical prize as well. Yeah, right. um, How... Um, how can people like play some of these games that uh, yeah you're uh, are in the festival? Sure, sure. Well, you can go to our website mqgf so m for Melbourne, q for queer, g for whatever it is dot com dot au. There's the showcase. There's the showcase. The 57 games are all there. You click on the link, it will take you to the homepage. Most of them are free to play, and and probably half of them you can play in the browser. So it is very accessible. Um, and I think it's a really good festival for people who don't play games at all. You know, at, like a lot of the games are only five to ten minutes and then probably not what you think when you think of games. Like I don't think there's a single person, I don't think you kill a single person in any of these games, all 57. Um, a lot of games are just listening. Like you can you play as a cat listening to your owners talk about, you know, what shop they want to retire to kind of thing. And so if you're not a gamer at all, it's a really great entry point. And also if you are a gamer and you're maybe a little bit bored of mainstream games. There's just, these games, they are very rough and they they do have, uh, you know, they're, they're lumpy in a way, right? But <laughs> yeah. there's an intensity to them and just a kind of a, you know, they're just, they're just really gripping. Yeah. That's what we love here. Bit of grunge, bit of zine culture, bit of punk. And I think, yeah, you've probably got that in spades. Really, really looking forward to it. Hmm. Um, Luke Miller from Melbourne Queer Games Festival, thanks so much for coming on the show and talking to us about your wonderful festival and the wonderful games that are a part of it. Uh, my pleasure. Triple R rules. <laughs> Thank you. Yes! You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform.
uh, we're going to be talking uh, about the hunt, sh- hunt the showdown. Uh, May, is you familiar with this game at all? I'm playing it on Twitch as part of their little scarathon, and it's a, it's a streamer that I usually watch, and I noped right out of it. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, is it more horrifying than real life? Well, once you get into it, uh, you kind of. Um, are focusing on the mechanics of the game and not so much on the horror, but the first time you play it, ah. it's definitely uh, off-putting, some of the monster <laughs> designs. And there's one... Uh, okay, so I'll, I'll, this is a game where you start off in a team of two or three, or you can go in solo if you think you're good enough. Um, it's set in, let's say, like 1902 in Louisiana or like 1890. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, so it's uh, kind of a unique so colonial. setting. colonial. Yeah, um, and you're part of uh, an American Hunters Association. Uh, you've got to go into this infected land, uh, purge the um, the infection, and then get out. The only problem is that uh, it's kind of a bounty system, and there are other players also trying to purge the um, the evil and get out with the bounty token. So you're simultaneously trying to um, eliminate these big uh, these monsters, get the bounty, and then escape all while everyone else is shooting at you and you're shooting at everyone else. Um, Jesus. Yeah, so it's a pretty intense game. And the law, like, it's a, it's an online shooter. So you, you get what you get when you're in, the t- in terms of story with these kinds of games. But, um, yeah, the, the monsters or the bounties that you're trying to pick up are absolutely horrific. Um, one in particular is called the spider. And it's... What, from what I can gather, uh, a giant spider that, or a person that mutated into a giant spider, and like as the spider opens, as you're trying to attack it, and the spider opens its mouth and its fangs, uh, you can see oh. like, you know, like have you seen the thing, the movie, the thing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah, it's kind of like have. a like f- flesh and bone melting together with other flesh and bone, and as the spider opens its fangs, there's a man's face in it, and. Um, ah! Yeah, and like it's all melted and twisted, and like one eyeball looking at you. Uh, it's it's truly very very uh, makes me squeamish. Um, it must have been so fun to make those and to make the sounds for yeah. those. Yeah, does well, does the man talk? The man's face? No, nah, it's just a lot of chittering and a lot of uh, like what you'd imagine oh, a giant yeah. spider would scream like. Um, so, yeah, uh, you did just touch on the sound design, which I've got to say is some of the most top-notch I've heard in any video game ever. Um, the attention to detail with the firearms is second to none. Um, because it's all distance-based and um, uh, all that, they've, they've put a lot of effort into making sure that the sounds of the weapons sound authentic and uh, you can pick up the direction they're coming from and and how far away they are just by uh, how soft or loud the sound is and how close they are mm. to you. Um, it's the, the sound design in this game is top-notch. And also, uh, I, I don't really ever compliment uh, menu music because it just gets so grating <laughs> after a while, but the menu music is like the just spot-on. It's uh, like a low hum chorus of uh louisiana locals just uh 
just humming, just um, oh, and like someone some just like bluesy gospel. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of that, and uh, like just a chain being smacked in the background. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I love it. Uh, the menu music, uh, fantastic. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I've played about forty hours of this game so far. I only got it on Saturday, so I'm. Um, uh, really into it. Uh, it's very popular on Twitch at the moment. So there's, uh, if you're looking at um, uh, picking up this game, maybe go check it out on uh, Twitch.tv before um, purchasing if you think it's not for you. But um, I highly recommend it. Um, yeah, I basically um, the gameplay is also what I'm there for. Um, this yeah. Is some... So I have a question: Is how many players get loaded into your instance, or like, do you, do they get loaded like into your bounty, or is it more like an MMO, or how um, how does that bit work? So every game has twelve players. Which when I first uh, heard that, I was like, oh, that doesn't seem like enough to have, uh, you know, action packed, compelling game. Um, but you can get teams of two or three, or go in single um, if you're uh, brazen enough, but. Um, yeah, the, it's actually plenty of people because while you're all running towards the same objective, uh, you may be coming from it in a circular pattern. So you're all kind of like coming from different corners and then, uh, you run into each other before you reach the objective or someone's taking hold of the objective. And then, uh, some uh. other people are like trying to get, get in while you're doing the objective. And there's, there's this like palpable sense of tension as you play the game and like this tug of war between, uh, you know, the, the opposing team and, and your team and, um, and also a lot of stealth to it or is it quite like just bolt there straight away? Uh, no, it's all tactic. It's all stealth. So as you're moving through the world, you'll come across, um, like sound traps, which are like, as you're moving around, like you'll come across a flock of crows and if you get too close uh, to the crows, <laughs> they fly up into the sky and make a lot of noise and alert everyone else around to where you are. Um, the same with uh, injured horses. There's a lo- there's injured horses on the ground that are um, whinnying. W- whinny? I don't, I don't know much about horses. Oh, I yeah. think that's what they do, but that'll Injured alert. by the monster. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Mm. And then there's like cages of uh, hungry dogs that if you get too close, they bark and uh, chook pens that if you get too close they they cluck up a storm and um, there's bells and there, there's a, uh, like around every stronghold so the, the map's uh, square and there's about 15 locations on each map and each location has uh, unique entry points and exit points and uh, is expertly designed the level design is fantastic um, for this kind of thing um, and yeah, as you're there, you try to um, try to get in. There's like chains hanging from the ceiling and like cans on yeah. cans on strings hanging from the ceiling. So if you try to walk through, it'll alert people that you're there. So very stealth based, um, high skill ceiling as well. So uh, a lot of twitch reflexes and uh, trying to hit headshots and and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it's basically like. All I all I like in a video game. Um, <laughs> although I will say that horror isn't my genre entirely, but I have noticed that there's been an upward trend in in horror games lately. Like um, Dead by Daylight, is that something that you've ever played or seen? 
No, I've watched I've watched a fair amount of that one as well, and a lot of just like I'm already kind of screaming just watching it and mm-hmm. being so surprised as you know things just appear in front of your face. There's some kind of saw type monsters and and stealth in that game. Um, yep. Yeah. <laughs> So, I have watched a bit of that one. Yeah, yeah. and I think it's like this uh, this trend towards a, a kind of uh, maybe a genre that hasn't been explored uh, in mainstream video games that often, which is like horror. So um, Yeah, it makes me think of like Alien Isolation was one of the ones that had such awesome sound design as far as like something that was going around you and you could hear its movement. Um, and then also like Slenderman was such a huge success when it came out for such a, a not that big game. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's been a few, a few things coming and they're all just so, so much jump scares, so much like quiet, 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 listen, 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 listen. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's like, that's basically what this game is. There's a lot of, uh. Like the the you've never been so angry to hear a, a flock of crows in your life. Um, <laughs> it's uh, very infuriating when you set it off. So like the this game, yeah, is just great sound design, uh, very focused, just overall design. So very settled on the Louisiana Bayou um, look. The all the items you get in the game uh, error appropriate and. Uh, the weapons oh, you get cool. in the game are, are very well researched as well. I always feel a little bit weird about uh, weapons in games because it's it's not a very positive, uh, you know, aspect. That but it's so prevalent in all games. But um, you can tell that they've uh, really put a lot of effort into the the weapons and the the design of the weapons and their um, uh, error appropriate. Um, yeah, so just a, the overall aesthetic and design of this game uh, is top-notch. Um, so what platforms, how much is it? Um, you can get it now until tomorrow, actually. It goes on, it's on Steam for twenty nine ninety nine at the moment if, uh, oh, yeah. if you're uh, yeah, wanting to get it on sale. So um, better be quick. Uh, you can also get it on console and uh, uh, PlayStation, Xbox, but... yeah. Uh, with shooters, I always find that, um, I prefer mouse and keyboard as most people, I think, who have yeah, done both can attest to. Yeah. Um, so yeah. apparently there's a, a thriving community on PlayStation and, uh, Xbox, but I think the real community is on PC. So, oh, awesome. yeah. Um, pick check that one out. Pick that one up on, uh, on PC for, or on Steam. Triple R. Um, yeah, what's uh, what's happening this week, Maze, or coming up? Yeah, some awesome games events are happening and, you know, we're covering Melbourne International Games Week, which isn't for another month, so there are a few things you can watch before then. Um, the Game Devs of Colour Expo is happening September 23 to 27. Um, so that is usually based in the US, but because it's online, they have things um, going at all times of the clock. Um, so those tickets are on sale. They're pretty affordable, um, different price tiers. So you can watch that while you work or something like that. Um, another really um exciting thing is happening so there's a game audio concert live stream on jolt 
um, on Game Jolt, which is a games store platform and games community platform. So that's happening our time, 11 a.m. Tuesday 14th. Um, so another one to do on your lunch break or something like that. Um, nice. So just look up Game Audio Concert um, on Game Jolt and you'll find details there. Um, I think that's that's, that's going to be a pretty jam-packed month of of games content until yeah. Melbourne International Games Week. Going to have to fit it in between all our gaming. <laughs> yeah, yeah or, or next to, you know. We, yeah. always, we always have to have some kind of stream open while we game um, mm. and talk and do all of the different attention-grabbing things at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks so much to Luke Miller from the Melbourne Queer Games Festival, um, really uh, enlightening us about um, the lo-fi... Uh, queer game scene and um, yeah uh, you can check those out at the website hi this is Vanessa Taholka thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It a weekly radio show exploring tech news broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne Australia every Wednesday hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts